I believe that God has something new for our church when it comes to missions. Um, and I've just been thinking and praying about it, asking some other pastors how they go about it. And uh, I'm excited just to move forward with you in that and support some more missionaries. Um, and uh, you're just going to see some videos in front of you for the next several weeks. Uh, we're going to take a, an offering on the last Sunday of January for an Assemblies of God organization we support called Light for the Lost. Light for the Lost uh, puts uh, materials, Bibles, things like that in people's hands in foreign countries. They translate the Bible. They pay for radio stations and videos and things like that. Um, all sorts of cool stuff you'll be hearing about. So we'll take an offering for them uh, the last Sunday in January, and we'll be letting you know some ways you can help support missions. Uh, just know that it'll be in front of you. Welcome to church. Man, it's so wonderful to be with you in the presence of the Lord. Uh, man, I've just felt all week actually an expectancy that today was going to be uh, a unique day. So uh, excited to be here with you today. If I've not met you, and I see a few of you I haven't, I'd love to say hello afterwards. I'll be out there in the lobby, shake your hand on the way out. love to answer any questions for you about the church. But I'll tell you what, we believe you're here for a reason. We believe that you came to this church on this day for a reason. Uh, and that in 2023, it's only a week old, but in 2023, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. And the plan is good. Now, the plan is good, but it might in some cases be unexpected. But it's still good. <laughs> That's kind of the way it works. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, we had one of these little uh, papers on each chair. Um, what it is, it's 14 little things you can do, 14 small things you can do uh, just to jumpstart your year. Uh, we've been talking the last little while about eight habits of Jesus that uh, should become eight habits of a believer in God. Um, I found uh, that when it comes to serving God, the plans that he knows about but that we don't know about, those are the best ones. And I just encourage you, man, start some new habits, do some new things. Take Anyway, take some of these guys. Uh, the ones we didn't use are out in the lobby. Um, I encourage you, take one, uh, stick it in your Bible, stick it on your mirror. It's got things on it like log out of social media one day a week, go outside more, start using a budget, stuff like that. And all those things that are on this paper, they fit within the eight habits that we talked about over the last little while. So grab one of those, and uh, we just believe it's up to us to follow wherever God leads, and he will take care of the rest. And that's what we hope to do together here at Engage Boise. This morning, and uh, at least for the rest of January, we're jumping in to this series about the parables, the parables of Jesus. We'll be taking communion at the end of service. We usually do it kind of at the end of worship, but uh, fits really well with the message today. So we're going to do it at the end of service today, just so you know. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the parables, all they are is they're just stories that Jesus told in order to make kingdom ideas, kingdom of God ideas, more easy to understand. Now, if you read through the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see Jesus. He uses these real-life situations uh, that those he would, have, he would have been speaking to would have understood. There's a lot of parables in the Gospels that have to do with farming and agriculture because just about everybody did some type of farming or agriculture because that's how you got your food. Just, it was a part of just about everybody's life. We have to understand that when you go read the New Testament, you got to understand that the things Jesus was talking about on earth, they were challenging much of what the people believed about how they should live, right? We like to say this thing these days called your, your mind is blown. That's what it was for them in, in the New Testament because Jesus was just rearranging things and redoing things and totally changing the way, uh, what it meant to serve God and to know God. And for that reason, some of it was hard for them to understand at first. 
What I love about the parables is that Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, right, he completely understood what it was like to live life as a human on earth. And in a way, they showed, I think, just how fully human Jesus actually was. And they find Jesus speaking in a conversational way to those around him. Jesus used the parables for specific stuff. Jesus used the parables to call his people to repentance and to faith. He used the parables to challenge his people to take action. And he used them to remind his people to be watchful. And all of those things, uh, he uses them to speak to us those same things today. And in the parable we're looking at this morning, uh, we find ourselves asking this question that's on the screen. How many times? How many times? Now, I say that and you probably think the same as I do if you have kids. How many times do I have to tell you? It's not exactly that. But yeah, that is what we think. Today is with a lot of these other passages we'll go through this month. Uh, We're going to go through it a little bit more verse by verse and then kind of pull meaning out as we go along. But there's a few things in life that you can be sure just about every person is universally working on. Or if they aren't, they would say they need to be working on it. This time of year, right, Pastor Ryan and I were just talking about it. Everyone talks about eating better or exercising. Pretty much everybody, right, they either are eating better or exercising because, man, they're on it. They're that kind of person. Or they're saying they need to be doing so. And why is that? It's because one day, we all have this in common, one day, or each day we wake up and we're we're one day older, right? Each day we wake up and our metabolism is just a tiny bit slower. Each day we wake up and we can eat one less donut hole than we could eat before. (laughs) That's what I'm experiencing. (laughs) Maybe it's three or four donut holes, I don't know. Um, And it takes more time, more attention to keep our body healthy, right? So for that reason, we're all either eating better and exercising or we're thinking about it. Something we all have in common. We're going to be reading something this morning out of Matthew chapter 18 uh, where Jesus teaches about something that, if we're honest, all of us are continually working on. That thing that we're all working on together is forgiveness. And we confront that glaring question, how many times? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read the whole parable together and then break it down. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Um, the, the heading in my Bible, I'm reading to you, the NIV, is the parable of the unmerciful servant, also called the parable of the unforgiving servant. But let's read it together. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. He wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. 
But he refused. Instead, he went off and the man had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servants in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And the beginning of that parable, it finds Peter asking Jesus a question in verse 21. Lord, how many times? Now, Peter is, of course, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, one of Jesus' 12 closest friends on earth. And Peter is one of the disciples, if not the one, we end up talking about the most. Because Peter has one of the most colorful personalities. And he finds himself just stepping right in the middle of everything, right? He's the one who takes action first and he asks questions later. That's Peter. He's the one who would lop off a soldier's ear with his dagger when they came to arrest Jesus. But he's also the only one to walk on the water when Jesus appears to them in the middle of the sea in the storm. And he's the one that Jesus would build his church upon in the book of Acts. Now, to be honest, I always like to think of this when I read these stories in the New Testament. I don't think I would have been exactly like Peter had I been with Jesus. Now, I think I probably would have thought many of the same things, if not all of them. But I don't know that I would have been the first one to come out with it. But Peter's that kind of friend that we all have. You guys know the, you know the kind. The one who's just willing to come out and say what everyone else is thinking. And in this case, Peter is tackling that big question. How many times, Lord, do I have to forgive someone? How many times? And for us, we can just think, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my neighbor for backing into my mailbox? For letting their cat into my yard, making a mess. See, there was this rabbinic tradition in, Jesus cult, in, in Jewish culture that you were to forgive three times if someone sinned against you. They had a rule. You forgive three times. But after that, the chances were up. Fourth time, that equals punishment or retaliation. You had to forgive three times. Fourth time, you could retaliate. Some of you are thinking, that sounds kind of nice. <laughs> now, Peter, he's been around Jesus, the Son of God, come to earth. So he's starting to understand that Jesus, this guy, is different. And he's starting to understand that forgiveness is something to be prized. And he's starting to understand the disciple of Christ shouldn't be looking to retaliate. So Peter, in his mind, he decides to be very, very generous. And he more than doubles the amount of times I know what I'll do. I'll say, Lord, I'm going to look really good in front of Jesus. How about seven times, Lord? He's saying, Peter's saying what everyone was thinking. Man, these people are kind of obnoxious sometimes. Yes, we must forgive. But Jesus, at some point, enough is enough, right? There has to be a line. And really, we can't blame Peter. Because in most human things, right, generosity eventually hits its limit. And it makes sense because this is how, as humans on this earth, we keep ourselves from being taken advantage of. And it is true that if you are giving uh, physical assets, you have to approach it with wisdom or you can eventually be taken advantage of. Or you can sometimes enable instead of help if you're, too, if you're not careful. But the wonderful thing 
about God's forgiveness because it cannot be measured. Is that it is so powerful, God's forgiveness is that uh, it can't be taken advantage of. Eventually, you see, we will run out of physical resources, but God never runs out of grace. That's on the screen there. Write that down. We'll run out of physical resources no matter how many you have, but God never runs out of grace. In verse 22, as a preface for this parable, we see Jesus give this really simple answer that carries a rich meaning. Verse 22, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, if you've got New King James, uh, you see it actually says 70 times seven. And that's because what scholars agree on is that Jesus, what Jesus means here is not that you do a complicated math problem to find out the amount of times you forgive. Some of you are like, yeah, I could just go get an Excel spreadsheet. As soon as they run over my mailbox 70 times seven times, then, man, it's over. He's not asking you to keep a tally board. But what he's saying, this is an expression of saying there is no limit. That we should go on forgiving until there is no forgiving to be done. Now, it's the same idea as these days in 2022 when we say something like that. I could never afford that. That will cost a billion dollars. You know, we don't know the actual amount. We just know whatever the amount is, we're never going to have it. So we just say a billion. Right? You go show me a Porsche 989 twin turbo. I'm going to say that costs a billion dollars. I could never afford it. It's not a billion, but it's an amount I'll never have. That's, that's the expression he's using here. You see, the human idea of forgiveness, it has a limit, and it looks to retaliate. But to Jesus, forgiveness is wholehearted and everlasting. So to help them understand, Jesus begins to tell them this story in verse 23. And it's going to make this idea of God's forgiveness real to them. And he begins to give them the answer to this question, how many times? How many times? And he begins to talk about... uh, How God's kingdom, which is, by the way, the kingdom they all want to be a part of. That's why they're there. God's kingdom is like a king who had decided to come settle accounts with his servants. Now, some background of this is really going to help us understand. In this case, uh, servants means something more like officials who would have handled various parts of running the kingdom. These were officials of high position who they had been loaned money Uh, for governing and for increasing the wealth of the kingdom. Within the story, this is what he meant. And what they could do is they could use that money to make uh, money for themselves on the side. But all of that, whatever they were loaned by the king, it had to be paid back at some point. A really good example is these days, it doesn't happen as much anymore, but for a long time in the music industry, if you uh, were a young up-and-coming band and you had no money, someone would see and find out about you, and they would give you what's called an advance. They would say, we're going to give you X amount of dollars, $200,000, whatever. And what you're going to do with that is you are going to make your album. You're going to tour. You're going to do all that stuff. And you're going to have to pay it back. But we'll give it to you to help you get started. And all those bands, you wonder why they broke up? That's probably the reason, because they couldn't pay back their advance. But it's kind of like that. He gave them this money and says, you go do what you want to with it, but I'm going to ask for my original investment back at some point. At any rate, the king, he had decided that it was time to settle up with everyone. And they could keep whatever they had added uh, to the original amount, but they had to pay back what they had been given. And in verse 24, there's a servant to the king. 
And this servant to the king, someone, uh, really, they're just like us. This servant to the king, they're just going about their daily business. They're doing the daily grind. They're waking up. They're getting their coffee. They're dropping off the kids. They're trying to make it home in time for dinner. They're like me. They're praying for a miracle for the Steelers today so they make the playoffs. They got to win and have a couple teams lose. They're just doing their thing. And they rinse and they repeat. But this man, he knows something in the back of his mind. And it's the same thing that if we're honest, we all know. See, this man knows he has a debt that he cannot pay. And even though he probably hopes the day would never come, the king has called his account due. Now, there's two important parts of the parable here, important parts of the language that we need to notice. One uh, is that he was brought before the king. They went and found him and brought him in. He didn't come willingly. He didn't look at his books and say, oh, man, it's time I go pay the king back what I, what I owe him. They went and got him. Someone had to go out and get him and bring him before the king. And he had good reason to come willingly. And the reason is because the debt that he owed was massive. Now, depending, again, on what translation you have, I know some of you have New King James or uh, ESV. Uh, the NIV that we just read, I actually don't love the way they translate it. I'm sure super smart people have a reason it's like this. But NIV, we just read, calls it 10,000 bags of gold. Uh, New King James, ESV, even the old NIV, I think they use the more traditional wording you may have often heard, which is 10,000 talents. The NLT, which I like to read during the week, it says simply millions of dollars. But to give some perspective to the kind of debt Jesus is talking about here. So uh, it's 10,000 talents was uh, the, the type of money they use. And just one talent, or I guess one bag of gold, one talent would have taken a regular laborer about 20 years to earn. The guy owed 10,000, and a regular worker would take him 20 years to earn one. Now, Herod the Great, who was in charge of the whole place at that time, his revenue from the entire kingdom in a year was about 900 talents. In fact, it's pretty similar to what Jesus said before. Saying something like 10,000 talents, that's akin to us saying a billion dollars. Yeah, it's a billion dollars. I don't have it. It was an expression that was taken to mean an insurmountable amount of money. It was taken to mean that no amount of work the man could do in his lifetime could earn that amount of money. Now, we aren't given the reason uh, the man couldn't pay. It could have been from mismanagement of the money. It could have been bad luck in an investment. Someone could have stolen it. It could have been a drought, some other disaster in the land. The way he ran up the debt is not important, but the fact that he can't pay the debt is. Remember that question that Peter asked Jesus a few verses ago? How many times should we forgive? And here the answer comes, an infinite amount. You see, look at the situation of the man here. How much money does he owe an infinite amount? Now, the king at this point, he starts thinking about how to at least get something out of this man that has squandered his money, which is that's what we would all do. I know the guy doesn't have the 10,000 talents, so how can I get a little bit out of it? So in verse 25, he orders that the man, his entire family, be sold into slavery. Now, understand, this was not really, this would not have been to recoup the money that had been lost, because the highest price for a slave was one talent. 
Even if you got a family nine or ten, you're not getting far. More often, if it wasn't a really hardworking slave, it was like one-tenth of a talent. So there was no chance of throwing the guy into prison and selling them into slavery. No chance of it actually satisfying the debt. You see, what it really amounted to was a punishment for the man's actions. Now, at this point, the man who had had his debt called due, he starts doing what probably all of us would do in this situation. He says whatever he can to buy time. He's like, man, I'm over my skis. Uh, I, I don't have this money. I worked for a guy one time, uh, and some of you may have worked for people like this, who they would say anything they could to get a deal or a contract. Uh, he was in, uh, in AV, audiovisual, and uh, I kid you not, this guy, he had a, a large family to feed, like 10 or 12 kids, and uh, we would be out at a job, like bidding a job, and someone would call. Like we'd have an appointment at 10 o'clock, and they would call, and they'd say, hey, I need you to come bid this job for me at, at 10.15. And he'd say, yeah, okay, we'll be there, and we're standing at an appointment that just started at 10. There's no chance. Every time, he would just say yes and say yes and say yes and say yes because he had so many mouths to feed that he said whatever he could to buy time. He wasn't a great guy to work for, I can tell you that. Well, that's exactly what this man does. He makes a promise he knows he can't keep. He says, just give me more time and I'll pay it off, knowing he can't do it. He's just trying to give his family a little more time, and he feels like he's got no other option. Starting to feel familiar, right? And in verse 26, he falls down to beg. He says to the master, be patient with me. Please be patient with me, and I will pay everything back. At this point, man, the servant, he's done everything he can do. He doesn't have the money. He's begged for his life. And in seeing the desperate actions of the servant with the insurmountable debt that can't even be described, we see in verse 27 the response of the master. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. You see, it seems the master recognized not necessarily the man's debt, but he recognized the man's lowly position. The man who owed the debt, he was requesting only more time to pay, knowing that it didn't matter because he wouldn't be able to pay it, but he was requesting more time to pay. The master knew the servant never could pay the debt, but he sees the man on his knees, begging for his life and the life of his family. And though the debt was infinite, the master gave him freedom. You see, the man, the servant, he was grasping for justice that he could never attain. Justice means that the agreement is completed. The man was grasping for justice. But in order for justice to happen, he would have to somehow pay the debt. And the parable is about to take a turn, but we must consider now our relationship to the man with the unforgivable debt. Because when it comes to our relationship with God, we have a debt similar to the 10,000 talents. Because when it comes to our sin, it's something that we can never repay on our own. Not that it doesn't stop us from trying. Right, bargaining with God, saying we'll do this and that. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, I'll just join with you. How many times have we bargained with God? God, if you'll only forgive me this time. I know this is time number 99 when I made this mistake. But if you'll only forgive me this time. 
Lord, I know, I know I made these bad decisions and they've got me in a bad situation. But if you'll only forgive me and save me this time, I will never sin again. Just like the man who make a promise we can't keep. Lord, if you just forgive me this time, if you just get me out of the situation, I will go to church every weekend until I die. I'll even go on Christmas and Easter. Lord, if you will just forgive me this time, I will go to church and I'll throw everything that's bad in my life into the bonfire. I'll bring my secular CDs. I'll bring my alcohol. I'll bring all my stuff. I'll throw it into the fire. Man, those types of symbolic actions, those can be powerful. They can be helpful as a reminder of a commitment we've made. And when I was a youth pastor, those were the coolest services. We'd do a big outreach and a bunch of kids would accept the Lord and we'd do a bonfire the next week. And I'd say, bring anything you want that you want to get rid of in your life. Just make sure it's actually not like, you know, a bad thing to set on fire like drugs or a lighter or something like that. They didn't always obey. And it was a cool thing, but it was only a placeholder for what they really needed. You see, just like a man with the debt, we look for justice that we can accomplish on our own, but what we really need is mercy that only comes from God. You see, justice and mercy are two different things. And if you're hearing this today, whether you're in here, you're online, or whatever, and you've been trying with everything you have in you to prove to God how good you can be, You're bargaining. Lord, I promise I'll just do this for you. God would have you know this morning that the currency you need is his grace. And his grace is where our life begins. You see, God has made a way for that great debt that we owe, the 10,000 talents, the billions of dollars. God has made a way for our debt to be forgiven through Jesus. The Jesus who's telling us this story here in Matthew. Because for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, as it says in Romans chapter 10. That's where many of us were. Maybe that's you today. Knowing you have an insurmountable debt, you could never be good enough. You need to know that you don't need to be good enough. What you need is the grace of Jesus and his forgiveness. There's one more part to the story. It's about to take kind of a left turn. And it asks the question once more, how many times? Verses 28 through 30, but when the servant went out, the servant who has been forgiven, by the way, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. By now, hopefully you're starting to see the parallel between the two situations. But there's some key differences as well. Jesus is a good storyteller, and he used the same words to drive home the point. But there's some key differences. For one, we see that the servant goes out, and he finds another servant who owes him money. Before, though, it was a servant and a king relationship. Right here, it's two men uh, in the parable who they're both employees of the king. These guys are on equal footing. So this servant, he's just been forgiven by the king, but he goes and he finds someone that he's equal to socially, probably one of his friends or acquaintances, and he demands repayment of the debt. No mercy, no nothing. He walks in, he demands repayment. And he even uses the same rationale and the same language as the king did. Now the other key difference lies in the second half of verse 28. 
he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, in your New King James, your ESV, it probably says a hundred denarii. Now, it's an amount that it's not nothing. What he probably didn't just have in his pocket, but it's also something that was easily to be paid. One silver coin or one denarii was the pay for one day's work. There were 6,000 denarii to one talent to give you another idea how big the first servant's debt was. And that first servant, he asked for justice from the king that was not possible under, under any circumstance. He asked for justice he knew he couldn't achieve. The second one, he asked for justice when the solution was just simply a few months' hard work. You tighten your belt, you sell a few things, you can come up with 100 denarii. In the language used in verse 29, strikingly familiar with the language used in verse 26, right? The servant fell to his knees. Just as the first servant had hit his knees and begged for mercy with the king, the second servant did the exact same thing. Give me mercy. Give me time to pay. And even though the request was the same from each servant, the response was on opposite ends of the spectrum. When the first servant had been extended mercy, when he had a chance to do the same, he extended none. The true condition of his heart had been laid bare for everybody to see. Now, it's really easy to sit here, stand here this morning, and be appalled at the actions of that first servant who had been forgiven much. But what is really in our hearts, it comes out when we are forced to answer that question that Peter asked Back in verse 21, Lord, how many times? When we are forced to answer that question when it comes to our life, how many times will you forgive? Yeah, we joke about, you know, the cat in the yard and running over the mailbox. Hopefully in your life those are small things. But the question is how many times will you forgive when you have been deeply hurt? How many times will you forgive when something has happened to you that nothing in this life is going to fix? You see, everybody loves having their debt forgiven. But one of the signs of a forgiven person is whether or not they are able to forgive others. See, if we understand the gravity of the debt that we owe to God for sinning against him, it's really difficult to hold others' offenses against them. Right? It's the old saying, but for the grace of God, go I. And that's what the final few verses of this parable let us know. So we move towards taking communion here in a little bit. Verses 31 through 35. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servants in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours, all that debt of yours, because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owned. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Man, it's really interesting, I think, to see in verse 31 that the other servants actually are the ones who report to the king what has happened. Man, what a true picture of life as it has always been right here. Right, when we see unforgiveness in someone else, when we see someone treating another person unfairly, it's often offensive to us. 
When we see unforgiveness in someone else, it can be hard to identify in our own heart, but it's easy to see in somebody else. <laughs> really easy to see if someone else is being a dirty dog. And it's only logical that the king who had forgiven the innumerable debt is angry when he finds out what that first servant has done. So he throws the servant in jail as punishment for the obvious hardness of his heart. But we need to point something out, right? Throwing the servant uh, in jail, it did not do anything actually to satisfy the debt of 10,000 talents. With him in jail, he was not going to be able to work. The debt was still going to be unable to be paid. The servant had no prospects of having money to satisfy it. So it doesn't say anywhere that the, the debt was reinstituted. So it seems more likely the servant was thrown in jail as punishment until he was willing to extend the same forgiveness he had been given. Simply the man, he was unable to take advantage of the freedom found when his debt was canceled until the condition of his heart had changed. And that reveals what I think is the often difficult truth to us that's found in verse 32 through 35. And that's this, that we will have difficulty as God's people, people on this earth, we will have difficulty experiencing the full forgiveness of God unless we can extend forgiveness to others. So the question this morning, if we have to extend forgiveness to others, but we have been hurt deeply, the question is, how do we do it? Now, I'm certainly not asking to you to, and I don't believe that God would ask you to, pretend like awful actions taken towards you didn't happen. You've been physically hurt, emotionally hurt, spiritually hurt. Uh, I don't think God would ask you to pretend like things didn't happen. But there is a scripture that I love. Probably quoted it already today, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. So thankful that this is true of God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And they are new every morning. See, friends, just like God's mercies are new to me every morning, forgiveness is often a regular practice and not a one-time occurrence. Now, we cannot absolve, as humans, we can't absolve anybody of sin. That is for God to do and for God only. But for those situations when forgiveness is hard to come by, I'm not talking about your mailbox being run over, I'm talking about your heart being run over. Those situations where forgiveness is hard to come by, uh, we must ask for God's help in this. Because trying to forgive a serious offense without the help of God the one who has forgiven much, man, that's a fool's errand. I can tell you from experience, you won't be able to do it without his help. You can try all you want. You can make every bargain you want to make, but you won't be able to forgive without God's help. And the key to grasping the full freedom of the forgiveness of God is to offer that forgiveness new in our heart each morning. Now, the other person's response, it's up to them. You're not responsible for that. You're responsible for the condition of your heart. You're responsible for that command to us from God. And what Jesus shows us in this parable. What Jesus shows us in this parable is that because of the insurmountable debt we've been forgiven of. And because God has answered that question how many times? With son or daughter, 
as many times as you ask. He throws our sins away as far as the east is from the west. Because God has answered the question that way, we must offer forgiveness to others to the best of our ability each day we're able. And if we've been held captive by bitterness, uh, extending that grace is the best way a human can receive that key to freedom. We're going to turn to our sacred communion here in a moment. And uh, man, it goes so beautifully together because we often, uh, yeah, ushers, you can make your way up here to the front. I just want to read you. It's one part of 1 Corinthians. We often read these verses of 1 Corinthians um, when we're going to take communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight 28 says this, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Friends, if we're going to take communion, we have to be willing to forgive others. And so this morning, as they pass this out and the band plays softly, uh, I just want to encourage you. Thank you, Brad. I just want to encourage you this morning to ask God's help in forgiving. If you've got people in your life, they're probably not in this room. If you've got people in your life that you need to forgive, I would encourage you to ask for God's help in that today. Say, Lord, I forgive them and I commit to forgiving them every day until I don't need to anymore. If you're here this morning and you walked in and you weren't sure where you stood with God, I encourage you, whisper a prayer of submission to Jesus. Ask Christ into your life. Say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Would you forgive me of my sins? And then take communion with us here in a moment. As they continue to pass it out, just reflect on what the Lord is speaking and what the Lord is doing.